I want to welcome each of you. If you're new, uh, we are today in week four of an eight-week series that we've titled Undivided Devotion. And what we're doing in this series is we're walking through the, the seventh chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And so far over the series, the Apostle Paul has talked about sex and about marriage and divorce, some of those topics we're going to continue to think about. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to begin a two-week mini-series on the topic of singleness. Uh, This is a topic that the Apostle Paul has a lot to say in this chapter. And so what I want to do today is just kind of introduce some of his thoughts. And then what we'll do is we'll break for a few weeks to discuss some other things, which he does in the chapter. And then we'll pick back up uh, in a month on the second half of the series, and that will be on February 26th. So today and February 26th are actually going to go together, and both will deal with the topic of singleness. Now, I would imagine that some of you are sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, you know, I've been married for 20 years. Uh, It's been a long time since I've been single, so, you know, this might be the perfect week for me to just kind of slouch down a bit in my chair, get comfortable, and tune out a little bit. And I can understand why you might want to do that, but I want to ask you this morning not to do that. Because I think it's very important for each of us to understand what the scriptures teach about singleness, especially because more and more of our culture is made up of singles. In fact, there are actually more of them than there are of you. Uh, In 2014, for the first time, the number of unmarried American adults outnumbered those who are married. Uh, In 1950, 4 million Americans lived alone, and today that number is more like 31 million. That's one in seven people in America live by themselves, and almost half of new babies are born to unmarried mothers. And so the cultural shifts that are happening happening around us in regard to singleness are big and and vast, but maybe even more important this morning is I, I just want all of us to think about the single people that God has put in our lives. Uh, your single friends, family members, coworkers, some of you have children who are single. And that doesn't even begin to to mention uh, the vast number of single people who are a part of our church all across the spectrum. And so uh, today, this message is really not going to be aimed towards single people. I I want to really aim it at everybody. And in fact, I am not really even going to be talking to singles this morning as much as I am going to be talking uh, about them. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at the kind of thinking and attitudes that the Apostle Paul tells us that we ought to have towards singles. Now this uh, in itself brings up a really important point, and that is that singleness comes in all kinds of different uh, shapes and forms and experiences. Some people are single, obviously, because they've just never been married. Other people are single because they've been divorced. Still other people are single because they're a widow or a widower. Some singles are young. uh, Some singles are older. Some are very happy and content with their singleness, and, and other people struggle deeply with their singleness. Singleness is not something that is a one of a kind uh, position in life, and no two people who are unmarried are the same. 
their feelings and their attitudes about singleness can even change over their lifetime. Uh, I did not get married until I was 33 years old. And I have to say that during uh, my 20s, I experienced all kinds of different feelings about singleness. There were times when I absolutely loved it and appreciated it and never wanted it to change. And there were times when it was very difficult and lonely, and I did want it to change. And if you would have talked to me on either one of those different seasons in life, I I, I would have answered your questions very differently. Well, fortunately, the Bible speaks to all singles in all spheres of their experience uh, in, in life. Well, the book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he actually really is the perfect person not only to write about marriage, but he's the perfect person to write about singleness too. And the reason is that most people believed that at one point the Apostle Paul was married. However, during the time that he wrote the, the book of 1 Corinthians, he was not. Uh, some people have speculated that perhaps Paul was a widower, And other people think that it's possible that Paul may have been divorced. Remember, the Apostle Paul, when when he became a believer, he became an entirely different person. He, He went from being someone who persecuted and killed Christians to being somebody who planted Christian churches. It was a huge change. And the transformation in his life was so deep that he actually ended up changing his name from Saul to Paul in order to express an internal change that had happened inside of him. And it's very possible that his wife left him because she liked Saul better than she liked Paul. We don't really know. But whatever the reason for his singleness, Paul speaks to the subject of singleness with words that spring out of his own conviction and background. And I think that what we're going to see in this passage is that while it's fully inspired by God, Paul's uh, personality and his life experience is going to bleed through. And so as we dive in here this morning, I just want to give you kind of my outline, which I think is Paul's outline, and, and that is three things. Paul teaches us three things about unmarried people. First of all, <clears throat> that unmarried people, according to Paul, Well, what Paul does with unmarried people is he affirms them and he speaks highly of them. Paul affirms unmarried people. Second of all, Paul gives unmarried people a great responsibility in life, and he reflects on that. And then thirdly, Paul gives unmarried people a great amount of freedom in life. So let's look at these three things together. First of all, Unmarried people are affirmed and spoken highly of. Look at uh, verse 7 here, which Devin read for us. Excuse me. Paul writes, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. So what's Paul getting at here? He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Well, in the context, Paul is talking about his own singleness. And what he's saying here is that he's very happy and very satisfied with his single status. So much so, in fact, that he wishes that other people could experience the same thing too. You know how when you find something really good, a great restaurant or a television show, you want other people to enjoy it too? Well, what Paul begins here by saying is that the single life is so good that he wishes that everyone else could enjoy it the way that he has. Now, this may not be a surprise to any of you in this room. In fact, that probably isn't. 
But I believe that that very much would have been a surprise to those who were in the Corinthian church at at that time. It's interesting to know that most of the major religions of the world, including Judaism, Islam, and Mormonism, in those religions, the unmarried are not affirmed in any way. Uh, In Judaism in particular, marriage was not only expected, but it was demanded. In that time period and culture, when a girl was 12 years old, she was married. And men were expected to be married themselves by the age of 20. In fact, it says in the Talmud that a man who is not married by 20 is living in sin. Uh, A first century rabbi once said, any man who has no wife is no proper man. And so in that culture, if you were 20 years old, one way or another, you'd better figure out how you were going to get a wife. Otherwise, people were going to start saying things about you. Those things that they were saying were not going to be good, and it was going to have some dire consequences and implications in your life. Now, for the Jewish people, you can imagine what a shock it must have been that at least two of the major figures in the New Testament were not married, right? The the most important one himself, of course, was Christ. And the fact that Christ was unmarried was probably just another reason why he was such an offense to the Jews. And, And yet, even though Christ, of course, did not have a wife, he was absolutely a proper man. In fact, Christ was the perfect man. He was the model of what masculinity is to look like, and he had absolutely no deficiencies. Well, the the second person, the, the main figure that we look at here today is the Apostle Paul. And what we see from him is that not only does he regard singleness highly, but in this verse right here, he, he actually says that for many people, it's an improvement over marriage. He says, I wish all were as I myself am. Now, Paul is not necessarily saying that everyone should not be married. In fact, he will go on in the next verse to, to, to show that he recognizes singleness is not for everyone. He's not demeaning marriage in any way here. He says, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so what he's getting at is that both marriage and singleness are gifts from God of different kinds. Marriage has certain challenges and blessings that come along with it. It's a gift of one kind. And singleness has certain challenges and blessings that come along with it. And and it's just a blessing and challenge of a different kind. Now that leads to something that uh, you may have have heard before. You may have heard someone say that uh, a person has the gift of singleness or that they don't have the gift of singleness. That would come from this passage right here. So what is this gift of singleness that Paul is talking about? Well, some people have described this as a kind of special ability that certain people have who are single that allows them to enjoy and celebrate and appreciate their singleness without having a lot of uh, challenges or difficulty in it. And in this line of thinking, there are some single people who have the gift of singleness, and there are other single people who do not. Those who have it tend to be very happy. Those who don't have it tend to not be as happy. But I don't think that that's really what Paul has in, in mind here. I think that what Paul is saying is that the gift of singleness is singleness. The gift of singleness is just singleness. That is to say that being single is, in and of itself, a gift from God. 
Paul sees singleness here as being something that's a positive. It's a blessing. It's something that's good and right. And so every person who finds themselves in the position of being single has been given their singleness as a gift from God. And we have to think about this a little bit because for some people, and and I can relate to this at, at points in my singleness, it's a gift that, that sometimes does not feel like it's a great positive, right? It's kind of like getting underwear at Christmas. You know, it's, maybe you need it, maybe it's good for you, but it, it's not necessarily the thing that you would most want. There are singles in the world, of course, who really long to be married. And the Apostle Paul is, is going to teach in a minute that they may be that at some point. They may get married at some point. But the Apostle Paul sees singleness as a gift and not as a curse. There's a, a very godly woman that you may have heard of whose name is Elizabeth Elliot. She and her husband, Jim, were missionaries. And when they were very young, Jim uh, went to Ecuador and was killed there. Well, later in her life, his, his wife, uh, Elizabeth, was uh, thinking about her life, and, and she did some writing, and she reflected over her many years of singleness. And this is what she says. She says, having now spent more than 41 years single, I have learned that it is indeed a gift, not one I would choose. But we do not choose our gifts, remember? We are given them by a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning and wants above all else to give us the gift of himself. God gives us the gifts in life that he knows are best for us. And I really appreciate the way that Elizabeth Elliot writes this because she's honest enough to admit that just because singleness is a gift, it doesn't mean that it's always easy to enjoy. I mean, something can be a gift and yet still be hard and disappointing and and even at some times painful. And yet she also reminds us that the same God who knows the end from the beginning who knows us inside and out, who knows our beginning and knows our end, she says, is committed to doing us good and committed to giving us himself. So the the Apostle Paul sees singleness as a gift. And actually what he's going to do a little bit later on in this chapter is he's going to give some very specific reasons of why it's a, it's a gift. He's going to talk about some of the benefits of being a single person. And, and that's what I'm going to talk more about uh, in a month. That's still a few paragraphs away. So we'll get there soon. But for now, what we see here is that Paul has this great enthusiasm towards those who are single and a belief that singleness is a gift from God. It's a blessing and not a curse. And yet what he does here is at the same time, again, he does not demean those who are married in any way. So unmarried people are affirmed and highly spoken of in the Bible, especially we find that here. And as as Tom pointed out in Matthew 19, Jesus does the same. But second of all, what we find is that unmarried people are given a great responsibility. Take a look at verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, so Paul restates once again that it's a good thing to be single in case we, didn't, in case we missed it in verse 7. 
But here, what he does is he reminds single people that their singleness comes with a requirement, and that is self-control. A single person must be able to control their sexual impulses. Now, why is this so important, and why does Paul mention it here? Well, it goes back to what Paul was talking about at the beginning of chapter 7. Paul opens up the chapter by talking about sex. And we thought about this a few weeks ago, that God created sex with a very specific purpose in mind. It was designed to tighten the ties that bind a marriage and to create between two people a kind of physical and emotional and spiritual oneness that is incredibly unique and special and important to marriage. And so the Bible's teaching on sex is that sex actually serves a person's marriage, that it was designed especially for it. And and so that to the degree that sex outside of marriage is something that is so powerful that it is sure to backfire and, and cause a lot of damage and heartache if it is misused. And so it is for their own good, in part that Paul says that unmarried people must control their own sexual impulses. And so what you have here is that while Paul is deeply affirming to those who remain unmarried, he clarifies that this affirmation does not apply to every unmarried person. Okay, let me give you an example of of what I mean. Let's take a a young man who's in his 20s, who's uh, got a pretty good job, he works really hard during the week, and then on the weekends he likes to cut loose and blow off some steam. So he pulls out his iPhone, and he's got a dating app on there, and and he's able to just kind of scroll through all the different women in the area. He picks the one that he thinks is is best looking, and he does everything that he can to meet her. The relationship gets very physical, very fast, and usually he's got this pattern. It It lasts about three months or so. That's how long it takes either for the passion to wear off from him or there's some kind of problem that arises that needs to be resolved that he doesn't want to deal with. And so what he does then is he makes kind of a lame uh, reason to move on, and he cuts the girl loose. And this is no big deal to him. He just pulls his phone back out, finds the next girl, and, and the process starts all over again. And if you think about it, what this guy is really doing is he's kind of cultivating sort of the 21st century version of a harem, right? I mean, he's got this group of women who are on his phone who exist to him just for his pleasure, and he leads them along with no desire to commit to them whatsoever. His philosophy is, why buy the cow if I can get the milk for free, right? <clears throat> now, obviously, there's, there's nothing at all that's honorable about this lifestyle. In fact, this person's singleness only exists as an avoidance of responsibility. He dodges marriage in order to keep from having to do something hard. And this is obviously not who this passage is directed to. The kind of singleness that the Apostle Paul affirms is one that embraces responsibility. I mean, it's an easy thing in life just to follow your impulses, but a person who is working hard to control themselves sexually is doing something that is incredibly hard, and they they do it out of a sense of love. It's love for God. It's a commitment of, of love to the person that they may marry in the future, and it's a commitment of love to those who are around them that they refuse to use or to disrespect. 
And so this kind of singleness is not an avoidance of responsibility, but it's an acceptance of an incredible burden of responsibility, and and that is restraint. And and what's really uh, interesting (coughs) is that the only kind of sexual behavior in our culture that is considered unacceptable is exactly that. It's exactly what I just said. Sleeping around is considered absolutely fine. Pornography is considered fine. Homosexuality is considered fine. The only sexual behavior that our culture cannot stand and doesn't understand is abstinence. And so if you are a single person who is restraining yourself sexually, it is totally countercultural to our world. And yet, while the world shuns that sort of thing and thinks it's strange and odd and, and weird, God applauds it. And God honors it. And this is an enormous responsibility for single people, especially in our day and time. Marriage brings with it a lot of great responsibilities as well. Paul's going to discuss those things later. But no one should ever think that singles don't also carry great responsibility, because they do. And one of the great weights that God gives to single people is the responsibility to control themselves sexually. Now that, sexual purity, is often a very heavy burden to single people. But here's the thing. In saying all of this, Paul concludes by saying, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, so what what does Paul mean by this? Well, first of all, he means that, that if a person does not feel like they can control their sexual desires, if it becomes too big of a responsibility for them, then they're free to take on the responsibilities of marriage instead. So he says, listen, if that's too hard, you are free to just go ahead and, and get married instead. But the, the other idea behind a person feeling like they are burning with passion, it could be the idea that a person who thinks they're going to be single all of their life falls in love with someone else, burns with passion for them. And, and, and Paul is saying, if that happens to you, as long as there's no scriptural reason not to do it, then go ahead and marry them. A, a person who is single is not locked into their singleness forever. And if they decide they can't live without somebody, it's fine. By all means, they ought to marry them. So Paul says here, singles should control their sexual impulses, but if it's too hard to do that, then, then there's just a tremendous amount of freedom for them to go ahead and get married. But they should get married. Well, finally, uh, we're going to jump down here to a passage that's just along the same theme, verse 39. And here again, we're going to see the theme of freedom. In verse 39, Paul writes, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, what is Paul saying here? Well, now what Paul does is he takes a specific situation, a woman who has been widowed, and he first of all reminds (coughs) us that marriage is meant to be a lifelong commitment. And so a woman is bound to her husband as long as she lives. But he says, if she dies, then that marriage is no longer in effect and she's free to remarry. 
The only stipulation he gives is that she must marry another believing person so that each person is pulling the same direction in life. Then he goes on to say, yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Okay, and so the Apostle Paul speaking uh, with the Spirit of God, he says, I think she's happier if she remains as she is. Now that's a little bit of a confusing statement, and it actually ties in to some of what we're going to talk about in a few weeks, so I'm going to leave that for a little while and, and just kind of wrap up this morning by making one simple point that the Apostle Paul makes here in this passage, and, and that is this, that just as a person can be happily married so too a person can be happily single. Just as a person can be happily married, so too can a person be happily single. Just because a person is single, it does not mean that there is necessarily something that is missing in their life. And I think this really does challenge a certain kind of thinking that is somewhat common today, just as it was very common uh, back in the day, back when that rabbi in the first century said what he said. And it's, it's, a, it's a thinking that single people are not quite complete or whole, that there must be something missing from a single person. You, you might think of, of uh, that a movie from the 90s where a couple falls in love with each other and, and they look at each other in the eye and one of them says to the other, you complete me. Right? It's this idea that in order to be complete, you must find your match, your love. And, and to the Bible, this kind of thinking is not just sappy. And it's not just corny. But it's actually really dangerous thinking. It's very dangerous pe- thinking. And what it reflects is it reflects a kind of false thinking that overemphasizes love and romance. And that kind of thinking is all over the place in our culture. Now, the whole storyline of the Bible makes it clear that there is no human being on earth. There's no possession. There's no job. There's nothing that you can do or have in this world that will ever complete you. The Bible teaches only God can do that. Every single person has something missing in their life that only God can complete. You you might think of it as a God-shaped hole that not even the best relationship or marriage can come close to filling. And yet there's this idea out there that a person isn't whole unless they're married. Well, the, the Bible would teach that married people aren't whole either. Marriage is not the thing that does it. The only thing that can make a person whole is relationship with God himself. And this relationship, thankfully, is offered to each person freely through Christ. And a person is not meant to find their wholeness in a relationship. They're they're meant to find their wholeness and their identity and their strength and hope in life in Christ alone. In other words, the Bible teaches wholeness exists beyond singleness and marriage. Those are two entirely different topics. And so single people especially have to be so careful that they don't believe that lie. That there's something missing from them that a relationship can provide. And what all single people who get married find is that it doesn't, right? 
that our problems, in many cases our lonelinesses, our difficulties, and our struggles follow us right into marriage. Only Christ can make us whole again. And so I think those are the three big points of these passages. Unmarried people are affirmed and highly spoken of in the scriptures. Unmarried people are given great responsibilities in life. We saw one of them today. We'll see some more in a few weeks. Along with those responsibilities come great benefits and joys. And finally, unmarried people have a lot of freedom, a tremendous amount of freedom to to remarry or to stay single. Now, let me just conclude by saying a few things to those of us who are married. I hope it really sinks in for all of us just how positive the New Testament is towards single people. And I think we should really pray together as a church family that God would help us to reflect that same kind of affirmation to the single people that we know in our life too. I mean, we should really honor them. And we should really try to be aware of the kinds of challenges that they face and not make assumptions or jump to any conclusions or presume things about them that aren't true. I mean, let's not assume that every single person is looking for a date, right? And let's not assume that every single person isn't looking for a a date, right? Either of those things are fine and good. But what we ought to do is to invite them into our homes and into our lives and into our families and to listen to their stories, to hear their experiences, and to really recognize that we, married people, have a lot to learn about what it looks like to follow in Christ from those who are single. So we're going to close today. We'll pick this back up in a month. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning that uh, just as uh, Gina read for us, that you are our living hope, that you are a hope who is alive and well and can be trusted today. And we thank you that, that finding contentment in singleness is not our hope. We thank you that being married is not our hope. Even uh, making our marriages better, which is a good thing in itself, but it is not our hope. You are our living hope. And We pray that for each one of us that we would rest and place our hope in that. We thank you that you have sent your son for us that we might be forgiven of all of our sins, that all of our guilt might be washed away, all of our failure might be put as far as east is to west. We thank you that Christ died to make us clean and to bring us into relationship with you. And Father, we thank you that that's the thing that completes us. We thank you that that's the thing that that makes us whole. We pray that we would not only believe that in our heads, but that we would trust that with our hearts, even as we walk out of here this morning. In Jesus' name.